हेलो एंड वेलकम दिस इज़ नबील एजाजी एंड यू आर वाचिंग इमेजिन एक्सपीज पॉडकास्ट सीरीज एट इमेजिन एक्सपी वी आर स्प्रेडिंग द वर्ल्ड ऑफ यू एक्स टू इनलाइटन एंड ब्रिंग टुगेदर द डिज़ाइन कम्युनिटी थ्रू आर वेरियस प्रोग्राम्स इंडिविजुअल्स एंड प्रोफेशनल्स वर एबल टू मेक दर वे इन यू एक्स डिज़ाइन एंड डिज़ाइन थिंकिंग सो फॉर टूडेज पॉडकास्ट वी हैव विद अस निक पारिक निक इज द प्रिंसिपल डिज़ाइन स्ट्रेटजिस्ट एट आकमेंट एंड हिज बेज इन कैलिफोर्निया talking more about nick nick has been honored with the european product design award and the red dot award in his 17 years of rich marketing and design career he has been at senior positions at various organizations from ogilvy and mather to j water thompson from chase bank to samsung next and now to aquin so without having any further delay let's quickly welcome nick hi nick Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. We really appreciate you taking out your time and being a part of this cause. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Great. So I think we are good to go. And to start with, Nick, please tell us about where you are from and how does your entire design journey look like? Um, so I'm originally from Bombay, India. I started. Uh, I I was born and raised there. I started my advertising career there. I worked at Ogilvy and Mather, and post that, I was working in Middle East for almost 12 years. Out of those 12 years, seven years, uh, I was in advertising, and after that, I did start a small design studio, where we uh, we had two offices, one is in Dubai and one in Singapore. And after that, I decided that I wanted to study further, so I took up service design um, in you know, I went to Savannah SCAD, and. Uh, and after that i have had the opportunity of working with uh, samsung next chase bank delta airlines and now currently i'm with aquint but aquint is more of a contracting company so i work with charles schwab right. and and my, my my design career i've been in I've been in creative industry for a long time and uh, i think the shift happened from advertising to de- design because it just felt more natural it uh, So yeah I'm glad uh, I've had a vast experience in understanding different cultures and I try to use that uh, in my work experience. Great. So Nick now I'd really like to ask why do you design? What really inspires you to design? One of the things that I often say in 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 meetings and all is designers think with their heart and businesses think with their mind. And what I love about design is it actually is about understanding a deep problem it's about going and solving something and i think every day can be really exciting because you're trying to solve everything that that isn't working or you're trying to find new opportunities so i think design really relates to the kind of things that people do and how you can find uh, how you can make their life better um it, advertising taught me one fine thing which is which is thinking of ideas more than anything so it's about ideas uh, and i think what design taught me is idea first and then think how you want to execute but you're not just thinking about yourself you're thinking putting a lot of a lot of consequences in mind a lot of factors in mind a lot of trends in mind and i think is that holistic experience that excites me and and then just trying to understand what is out there that you can pick and and move on from is what excites me every day Yes, certainly. I really like the way how you put how this holistic experience really drives all these designers out there uh, and inspires them to design. 
So Nick, if you'd have to look back, can you recall few instances from your childhood uh, where you think design had a maximum influence uh, on your life? Um, yes, absolutely. I think so growing up, I always wanted to, I actually wanted to be a chef, but I couldn't be. So I ended up being in design advertising. I really um, liked the idea of going deep and thinking about it. But I think a moment came when I did read a story and that actually changed my whole perspective in terms of advertising and, and everything in life. I kind of connect to it, which was, um, I was reading this book about McDonald's and Harry Sonneborn, um, who's, who was the CFO then, said something to Ray, uh, to the CEO and he said a beautiful thing that McDonald's is a real estate company and not a fast food chain. So that really, yes, I, I was right. really drawn to it. We all think about it and we don't realize that how deep this is. And and I, I, I couldn't right. realize at the start, when I started looking at it, I was like, it's such, it can make so much of profound uh, impact on a business if they actually realize what kind of business they are in. And and I think that's the kind of stories that really excited me at the thing. And another credit I will definitely give is, I think you're shaped by the people you work with. And I had an opportunity to work with some of the great uh, legends of Ogilvy and the advertising world from around the world, Piyush Pandey, Vivek Kakkad, and all these people really groomed me and shaped me to to think of big ideas. But at the end of the day, Ideas is one thing and the way you actually do it today is another and it's not just about the execution But it's about looking at people's problem. It's about solving it And I don't even mean people always and we will talk about that how human-centered design shaped my thinking But it's about understanding problems in general. I think we hold this uh, We hold this key to kind of unlocking a lot of potential in the market and that's what excites me every day Wow so, Nick, you were having a great advertising and marketing career and then you made a shift to service design and design strategy roles. So, how would you describe that shift? Sure, absolutely. I think I love design. From the time I entered the world of design, um, that was I started uh, as an intern at uh, uh, Low Worldwide, which was Low Lintas back then, and then Ogilvy and Mather. I think I really love design because right. the people I worked with, they just asked me to see it with a lot of fun. And a lot of people ask me, what was your advertising career like? And I say, uh, it, it was a lot like Mad Men series, uh, which was all like, we used to work till late. We used to be able to do things in the office, think of wild ideas, bring them to life. And I think that really, I really loved advertising for a long time. That really shaped me the whole experience. And when I went to Middle East, I did love advertising. And I, when I started my design studio, I did realize that at some point as creatives, we want to reinvent ourselves just the way, you know, today companies and brand often have to reinvent themselves every five years. They have to refresh themselves on what they do and how can they be more relevant. I felt the same need. I felt like I did need a little boost of some new knowledge out there. And I was thinking of uh, either doing my MBA or service design. And actually, I didn't stumble upon service design. My sister told me that there's a service design and you might be a really good fit. And uh, fortunately, I did end up going to a really good school, one of the most popular schools uh, in the world. And uh, I think when I understood service design, I did realize that all of us in the world of creative, whether, whether we do it by ourselves with self-studies or whether we go to a university, I think we all need to somewhere down the line, reinvent ourselves, rethink and you know, learn new things. And I think that that's just not always to be in the market, but 
is to 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 increase your knowledge and to actually know what you want to do i think there are times that people people realize that they want to do this one thing for the rest of their life but that doesn't work anymore people have to keep looking out for something that may be a good fit and then you can always use a vertical business model and see where else do you fit in so yeah advertising was great but i think i had to move on after a point and and i still apply that doesn't mean i've left uh, advertising completely i still use yes, a lot of my knowledge and tools into into my uh, current uh, industry and my current work so nick if we take a look at the early stages of your career you were you were a part of organizations those who really changed the advertising and marketing game in our country and most importantly you were there when things were changing uh, with all with this entire marketing space going through a shift so how was the experience like i think what you said is so true i was at a point where advertising was people were really understanding what creativity is and how to think of big ideas and i think the whole advertising shift around the world happened because of few people and definitely will say that piyush pandey brought advertising to the forefront of everything and i i worked on a lot of campaigns i worked on i worked on anti smoking ad i worked on um i worked on uh, orange that time hutch and uh, polygy and so many brands i worked on and i think we we had an opportunity to really tell a story because i think one of the things that advertisers do is tell a beautiful story you know in their own way and uh, i had an opportunity to be part of many campaigns including i was in the team where the dog and the kid are walking around in goa uh, strolling around in goa and right. in the end it says uh wherever you go our network follows and i think part of those campaigns really shaped my thinking i was a really junior in the team but i did learn a lot from uh from other people and uh, yeah overall i think i'm grateful to advertising and some of the campaigns i got to work on that uh, really started shaping it i i did i do remember that in advertising i did this uh, kind of a corporate identity is uh, it's now seems like a thing of a past but we used to do it often and i did it for a loudspeaker manufacturer which went on to win many international awards including one show and it was great because it wasn't based on design it was just based on this really one abstract idea that i got and i was like let's do it you know let's see what happens and and i was honored with so many awards and it made me feel good that at the end of the day ideas still get appreciated there's still room for us to grow with ideas great thank you so much so what were the key learnings at the earlier stages of your career nick that really set you up for the roles that you had taken at the later stages i think it just i wouldn't say just for me i think for everyone what really sets us uh, what can really set you in your own field or anything you do is just it's about loving what you do and it's about having this i remember this uh, i used to work with prasad pradhan uh, he's a creative director based out of uh, i worked with him at grey worldwide in dubai and he always said if you have this you know what we call it in hindi is like if you have this masti in you like you want to enjoy stuff and you want to kind of uh, have fun with what you do i think you will always excel people who take their work as a stress as a as a way to like just get your paycheck or as a way to just spend your 8 hours because 
you want to and i think most of the big people or most of the famous people or most of the most uh, uh, most of the big corporate giants most of the founders they always excel because they love what they do and they just keep thinking ideas they just keep doing stuff that really they enjoy the most i think the and when people see that you're having so much fun they want to join your they want to join you and i think that's what it is right from right from people like again like you know elon musk to steve jobs they did not they didn't they worked towards a mission but i think they enjoyed what they do right. and i think that's one of the things that i i learned from is i want to enjoy what i do and i think if i don't enjoy it, there's no point me being there got it great so nick now you are an author too so please tell us about your book the future of extraordinary design i I studied human centered design and uh, while I was working and I was applying a lot of those uh, human centered design and business design theories into my work I came across this challenge that came across this challenge that what I'm doing is it the right thing am I just following something because it's it's been taught to me and I authored the book uh, the future of extraordinary design because I thought designers needed a tool that helps them think beyond human centered design. Human centered design I'm not saying that it doesn't work but there is a flaw to it and I think my notion of writing the book is inspire new designers or new generation of entrepreneurs to actually challenge the status quo and actually challenge the industry norms just because you've learned something doesn't mean we have to follow it. Um go ahead and question why those things are working and why they aren't and if you think they are not working lay out your thoughts for the next generation of designers and i think the future of gen- the future of uh, extraordinary design is is about changing the course of human history with small decisions it's about questioning everything that we think is part of a design culture or we think the part of an industry culture is questioning that questioning the norm and and trying to see how we can solve it through design thinking and how we can bring design strategy at the forefront and not just about it's not just about taking something and just following on blindly it's about questioning it at the right time right so for those who would like to know more about next book the future of extraordinary design we'll be putting a link in the description box below so that you can take a look so uh, nick picking out a topic from your book what do you think uh, what do you think a designer's role is in the society and how can they make world a better place to live so i think the role of a designer is um, often so role of a designer is to kind of dig through the problems and trying to solve it creatively um, but i do think that there are other things that designers can do today it's um, uh, i i always say that problems are nothing but just an opportunity that have been presented themselves and and often designers have to really understand things from every perspective and try to bring in a solution a solution that just doesn't please the investors that just doesn't please the shareholders but also pleases everyone i've worked on many uh, uh, uh i worked on a couple of projects which were all about looking at the future it's all about understanding customer journeys in like 10 years out or even 5 years out and when we try to it's not like i can foresee the future i'm just a uh, lot of people tell me oh how can you see the future i don't foresee the future i look at the current problems and try to solve them and i think that's what the future is it's taking something problem of today and trying to present it 
uh, trying to find that opportunity within that problem. And as designers, we all have to do this, whether we do it on a small scale or we do it on a large scale, every new innovative product has solved a problem. And I think designers, whether you're working at your workplace or you're trying to build your own business, I think constantly if they seek out to look for problems, they'll definitely be able to find that next big idea. Um, Tesla, Slack, uh, even, even like uh, Uber, they've all solved the big problem. Now, now the thing is, but our role doesn't stop there. Back in the day, our role would stop by, by just working with companies to find the next big idea. But I think our role is, how can we bring empathy to the process? Now, uh, I'm, I can say that when, when it comes to Uber and all, we've seen such a great idea, but now nobody seems to be benefiting from it, from the product or service, right? From, uh, you know, the investors are kind of losing money. The people are not happy and the service has been very self-centered in terms of what the company is. And, and the question is, how can they bring empathy to the whole process? And I think designers need to constantly think of the big idea and also think how can they try and please everyone? We actually kind of play a role like a government uh, or like a governor or a president would play where you you may upset one set of society, but you don't want to be completely ignorant of that part of the society. You want to think about every stakeholder who's part of the process and how can we help everyone? Yes, I can I can agree to what you have said here. Like designer's role is not just to uh, you know come up with the expectations of the stakeholders, but also to please all the people for whom they are designing while making sure that they are solving a problem in, in the first place uh, while being empathetic towards the same. So now coming down to an, another question, Nick. So who is human and human-centered design? And Nick, can, you, can we really segregate human from their environment? So so that's always a big question right we we put out this three magic words human centered design and and we start to think about i think all of us are expected to think who's the i expected to find out who the human and the human centered design but i think at the core of it in my book i have questioned the whole logic of human centered design because today human centered design is is used in every form of design um as designers, we are supposed to put humans at the center of our story or center of our products and services. But the problem is we are not just designing for humans. And I think part of the issue could be that we, we don't realize, but we are part of the ecosystem. We are not the whole ecosystem. So when we say human-centered design, we can't leave behind other aspects of the society that actually make this planet, that actually make the... Uh, that actually make up the whole society. We can't, we can't forget the animals. We can't forget the nature. We can't forget so many other things. And that's a problem with human-centered design. And, and my only question is that human-centered design is not a new term. We've been, we've been applying this for a long time. But my question is, but haven't we done this for centuries? Every ancient culture was based around uh, uh, humans at the center of the universe. You know, our life story revolved around us. Now, at some point, if we start thinking that all the problems in the world, if we sit and calculate, they've been because we only, as humans, think about ourselves. We don't think about everybody else. And, and that's a part of the reason, right? Today, we have global warming because we've only thought about ourselves. We have a really, uh, we have animals who've not been treated fairly. Uh, in Alaska and other places, animals are losing their home because of global warming. 
this is all because we're only thinking about ourselves. We only want to be fit and fine, where it's not thinking about the rest of the aspect. So I always question that don't just think about humans, but make the story about whoever needs to be at the center of the story. And I'll continue this by giving a very good example. I, I'm a, I'm a animal rights activist. I'm a big animal yes. lover. I've never eaten meat and I've never been to a zoo. I remember when I went to a zoo first time, I told my parents at the age of six that there's something I don't like seeing these animals in a, in a cage and I've never been to a zoo. But zoos are a perfect example that the flaws we see with human-centered design. Now, when we think of zoos, we often, like when we ask people, they will often justify saying that zoos are a perfect way to preserve endangered species or exposing children to the wonders of nature. But, but the lion who's in the cage, the environment is not meant for him. He often gets bored and we only have that lion in a cage because every kid wants to see a lion and he gets to see one. And uh, this is the perfect example of a human-centered design. We put ourselves, and because we want to see a lion somewhere, we've trapped him and seen that. And I'll go back to this example in, in 1930s when in some parts of the world, we actually used to have people from different races trapped like animals. We actually uh, used to have human zoos. And that was completely outrageous when we think today, when we put some of the different races, um, Africans or Indians or even uh, Chinese, we used to put them because they were unique and people are like, that's not right. So why is putting animals in a zoo right? Now, recently, I will give a good example here that recently in Denmark, they are about to, they're working on this new kind of zoo concept. It's called Zootopia. And uh, what the designers did is they flipped the story. Now, what they've done is they've actually building a real forest and there is a dome on top of the forest, which the animals cannot see. And the humans have to be in that dome to see the animals in real life. So, so they didn't apply human-centered design. They applied, I would say, an animal-centered design or subject matter design, right? Because the subject here is the animal. So you want to let them be free, but you want to we humans want to see them. So it's such a great design and that completely contrasts between what human-centered design is and when you not see human-centered design, how, how much it can open our mind. And people who see that, that's like, that's absolutely championing the whole, uh, it's, it's a great example, not just for animal rights activists, but also for future designer, because the story has been changed. The animals are the focus of the story. The designers built a home for them and then found a way for humans to access it unobtrusively, you know? So that's the way that I do think that human-centered design, every designer should try and question that. And uh, somewhere down the line, think beyond just humans, think of the whole ecosystem. So I think, Nick, you have given us a whole new perspective to human-centered design. So uh, now I'd like to ask Nick, uh, is why how is it really important for designers to really understand the problem so i think yes in some way for designers to to really understand the problem because they didn't uh, I'll, I'll go back to the zootopia example the example yes. the problem that we're trying to solve is not that let's build a new zoo because anyone who built a new zoo would have thought that oh let's 
let's have a human uh, condition for the animals. Let's put air conditioning or let's put uh, heaters for them and let's give them a nicer space. They actually question the entire way it's been done. And I think that's what designers need to do. It's question everything the way it's done. Like if someone came and said, I want to start a new taxi service and Uber just said that let's build a beautiful app for the taxi service. That is, that is an iteration, not an innovation. Innovation comes when you rethink the entire industry itself. Because I do believe one thing that I often say this, that a tide raises all ships. Um, what I mean is that when, when I say tide raises all ships, because one, one company or one great idea can bring so many other ideas into the market. Now, Denmark, what they're doing with Zootopia is giving other countries a way to think more, uh, more empathy design when it comes to building zoos or, or way to treat the animals or finding freedom for those animals and not finding a way for humans to keep looking at them in a cage. Got it. Now, uh, coming down to the next question, Nick. So why do you think standardization became so popular at the core of design? Um, absolutely. This is another, this is one of my favorite subjects uh, in the book. I start with standardization. And this is just another way to, to kind of question the industry norm. So coming back to your question, why did standardization become so much at the core of design? And I'll, I'll start with by saying, why did standardization become so popular at the first place and not just in design? Uh, I, I believe that somewhere, um, mainly American companies and a lot of multinationals, they wanted to grow internationally. They design processes to make expansion easy and more importantly, fast. So it's like design once and replicate hundreds of times. It's like um, housing development of fast food chains. And, and thanks to standardization, we have McDonald's, Uber, Starbucks, they're just spanning the globe. And, and that's because of standardization. But what happened is trends are quickly taking the other direction. Uh, people no longer want giant corporations to decide and deliver. They want local, they want handmade, artisan, unique, People want their cultures reflected in their choices. The problem is these brands cannot deliver that because they are doing everything opposite to unique artisan and local. So standardization is, is started as a, as a way to solve problem with the, uh, with the supply chain, but it quickly went on to everything. It quickly went on to design. It quickly went on to the user interface. It quickly went on to the experience. What standardization does not consider is the fact that everybody is different. Like Indians have another way of, way of living than Americans. The Japanese have a, another way of living than the Spanish. So I think it does not consider that. It just slaps one design for the entire world. And, and I'll start by asking this question that why, why did why do we travel is my first thing. We don't travel. I don't travel from San Francisco where I live to Thailand because I want to go to McDonald's or because I want to go to uh, Marriott Hotel. I go there because I, I want to understand and study how they live. And that's what the question is. When you start understanding that, you question that. Why is standardization so big? Standardization works when it comes to supply chain, but standardization does not work when it comes to design and understanding the user interface and the experiences that are built around it. So Nick, are there any disruptors in the market, those who are really breaking this standardization? 
part. So I'll start by saying that, um, I'll start by again giving an example of what doesn't work. I'm sure that we all have seen McDonald's from around the world. And if, if anyone just types in McDonald's around the world on Google Images, they will see so many McDonald's that look the same. And if you have to swap any two McDonald's, it wouldn't make any difference. No one will even notice because they've been so standardized. Now, and, and the same happens when it comes to, uh, we, we are creating the same problem when it comes to digitally. Like a lot of companies are taking the digital tools and standardizing it across the board. Now, companies who are really championing this are, there are a few companies that I can think of who are really championing this, and I would definitely say Apple. And, and Apple stores around the world are very unique. And this, this comes because they've not standardized the design. They, they, they want to build every time something unique. Um, if, if anyone gets a chance, have a look at the Apple store in Dubai, Brooklyn, and Berlin. They're very unique to their communities. And, and I always say that good design is dynamic, contextual, and relative. People, Apple hired local people to fit the storefront with local architecture. The one in Dubai understands the Arabic design to it. The one in Berlin actually respects the great uh, uh, German history of architecture. And the one in Brooklyn actually respects that particular neighborhood where everything is kind of brown brick wall. So they chose these colors based on the cultural tradition, based on the neighborhood. And if, if you have to take any of these buildings apart and put them in another part of the world, they will just look out of place because they wanted to blend into the neighborhood and not stand out. And that's a unique difference. I still remember the example in Brooklyn. Uh, I was at the Apple store in Brooklyn when I was writing this book and I had an opportunity to talk to one of the Apple store managers. And he said that we wanted to make sure that we are part of the community and we're not, we're not breaking the culture of this beautiful street, which has such a historic relevance. And what happened is it's, it's inside this brick uh, building, which they actually bought uh, and they didn't modify the exterior. They just modified the interior. And when they actually put that Apple logo, which is with the white glow, what we are used to seeing, they realized that nobody in that neighborhood actually had a glowing logo and they felt out of place and respectfully before even anyone told them about it, they removed the logo and they just put a black metal cutout. And wow. that is just being respectful of not standardizing things, but actually understanding cultures. Even in Dubai, when they built the local architecture, what they've done is when the windows open, they wanted to make sure that it resembles the famous Arabic uh, culture and how it fits within their door and frame style. And they've kind of copied that. They didn't say that we Apple and we're gonna reinvent the wheel. They've actually respected the local tradition, which have been going on for thousands of years. And they've actually embraced and used that rather than completely dissecting themselves from the process. And another example that I'll, I'll continue with is, there's this, uh, this is a very unique example. There's a restaurant in New York called Enotica Maria. And uh, this restaurant is really unique uh, because what they do is they hire a new head chef every week. And they're called as local nana or grandmother, or in Hindi, we would call them dadi, right? So they hire a new uh, granny, uh, dadi, every, every week. And what she's supposed to do is she designs a distinct, authentic menu. One week, so, so one week they can have Portuguese food, one week they can have Indian food, and one week they can have Japanese food. And what this 
uh, grandmother does is she actually works with the other chef to bring in dishes that she would that she would actually make at home to her grandkids or to her kids so what is amazing about this is that every week you can have a new menu and every week you have a new experience and people don't go there because they have a better checkout experience people go there because it's it's novel the idea is beautiful it pulls together different traditions that are uniquely to new york new york is built with different traditions and they respected that and and perhaps one of the most important thing i would say is it's highly unstandardized because they can just have every cuisine in their menu in a span of a year and the thing is what they're doing is they're hiring local uh, uh, chefs they're not hiring chefs who are michelin star chefs but they're hiring grandmothers who know to cook any day better than any of wow. the head chefs in the world so that to me is thinking standardization and i always tell everyone to think standardization it's not like it doesn't work standardization does work you can standardize many parts of the process that can make our business run better so standardization should be used in supply chain or processes things that are invisible um and and collaborate with locals like try to build something unique to that community and make it unique to that community um and the other thing that I always say is you can standardize many parts of the process that make a business run better like the supply chain but what is the big difference between a supply chain and a storefront the supply chain is invisible and and storefront is visible right. so while apple may have standardized a lot of their supply chains and their suppliers and how they ship phones to india but they didn't they didn't standardize the front end experience to the user yes definitely so i think we have pretty much covered uh, standardization and how it has been and it can kill the culture and values so now nick i'd like to ask what is the next after the future of extraordinary design so one of the things i often get questioned about is um, i think to me uh, thinking about beyond human centered design is and it's not just me it's many in the industry have voiced it including my professor mauricio menhas and and the the goal is now to actually take this idea and even uh, uh, try to put an examples to it right try to really see how some of the industry leaders have thought beyond human centered design how some of the problems have been solved not just thinking humans but thinking everything else i'm working with a group of uh, a group of designers and authors around the world to really to really craft a way to show people how we can all think human centered design it's not it's not i'm starting a revolution but somewhere down the line someone has started a revolution i just wanted to put the right oil in the fire so that all of us can think like that and i think perhaps we will come to a phase where humans will be a part of the ecosystem and we will not think that we are the whole ecosystem and and there's one example that yes. i would like to now go back to standardization um there there is one more example that comes to my mind and i think this is perhaps something that people can uh, bring an example when we from countries like india and china where which are very rich in cultures but uh, one of the things that in america is that when you buy a car a sedan car is 
most of the time the driver has a 60% space and the passenger has 40% space. And no matter how big a sedan car you buy, you, the passenger sitting behind will always be uncomfortable because that's an American culture that most of the time, and no matter how wealthy you are, you end up driving your car because not many people have a driver and all that. And it just goes with the culture of individualism. When it comes to India, a lot of people prefer drivers because they, it's just been part of Indian culture that most of the people who go to work have a driver because parking is difficult and it's just the way the society works. When Tesla actually designed the car, they have a 6040 model too. And when they actually launched the car in China, they realized that actually most of the people who can afford to have a Tesla will not be driving one. So what they did is they followed the tradition of China where they squeeze the driver space to 40% and the passenger gets 60%. So that's why if you sit as a passenger in America in a Tesla, you might be uncomfortable. But if you sit as a passenger in China, you might be very comfortable. So they changed the design based on culture. They changed the whole perspective based on culture because they did not slap an American car into another country thinking that it's an American brand which will work. They actually kind of made it more relevant to their society and how they function. Okay, got it. So now this is for all the future designers out there. So what do you think are the career prospects in UX design? UX design is, uh, I, I would say more like, I, I want people to start thinking of experience design. And, and I think when we start thinking of experience design, we, we leave the user out. And I think we need to leave the user out because the user can be anyone, right? Again, it, you could also be building something for the environment. So I think you, experience design has a lot of, uh, has a big play in the society today because it's how we understand the problems and how we solve them. And some of the biggest companies by just, by just looking at um, being an experienced companies, they've grown. Like if Airbnb actually told us that they are another hotel company or they are another hospitality company, we wouldn't have taken them so seriously. They put experience, experiences over things as the most important thing. And designers today can really look at some of these examples and think that what they want to do, whether you're working or whether you are starting your own firm, there is value. Value has to be both ways. Don't just think value to be only for human, but there should be a value for the animals. There should be value for the environment. And if any designer looks close enough, there is always a problem to be solved. There is always an opportunity to be picked up. And uh, I, I often say this, it's one of my favorite quotes, uh, quotes that, um, that a tide raises all ships. So do something extraordinary. Maybe at the start, you may have a rough road, but eventually people will understand what you're trying to do. So I think UX designers really need to understand that they're not in a business of just making, looks, making things look pretty or enlarging a button, but they are in a business of changing the whole mindset of people. Because at the end of the day, when you change your mindset, you're not, you're not just changing the experience, you're changing an entire way of thinking that people have towards you. And, uh, and some of the examples that I gave in, the, uh, that gave in this podcast really show people how they've thought of the same problem differently. Great. So now we are coming towards the end of this podcast. So Nick, I'd like to ask what message would you like to give 
to all the viewers of this podcast and to imagine xp this is always between a risk and a challenge and at the end of the day if everybody starts thinking of something uh, unique to build they can definitely build it but ask yourself what problems are you solving ask yourself how can you make this different um i do believe that every single designer holding on to the ideas of standardization or beyond human centered design or whatever else they believe in if you hold on to that idea you will definitely be able to change a community and and i definitely believe that a room of us can change the world so so i think imagine xp students should really ask themselves that they what is the business they're getting into if they're really small iterations are very easy to come by the big changes are hard to come by but it's looking at those big changes is when you can convince industry and the businesses to really start thinking and and i think experienced designers have this unique uh, uh, have this unique skill to actually blend the design and business together if designers think with their heart and businesses think with their mind how can we at times switch that we don't always have to think with our mind and we don't always have to think with our heart it's understanding the pure balance of what can meet in between and and trying to right. trying to play from there wow amazing so nick how can our viewers can get connected with you so uh, they can definitely connect with me on medium um, i have uh, i have written over 50 uh, blogs on medium on design thinking and service design i have not written them for a while so i'm going to start again but medium and they can always reach out to me on linkedin um where uh, i will send you my linkedin uh, uh, url and uh, and they can always connect me i'm happy to answer any questions they may have awesome so we will be putting next linkedin link and the link to his blog in the description box below so you can go check it out thank you so much nick for this phenomenal interaction and i'm sure lot of viewers will have tons of takeaways from this podcast thank you for having me uh, thank you so much i'm i'm glad to be here thank you so much for all our viewers thank you so much for listening to us and all the very best for your design journeys ahead if you'd like to watch more educative videos and more such content follow us on our social media pages uh, check out our youtube channel and visit us at www.imaginexp.com So this is Nabil Ejazi from Imagine XP signing off for now. See you real soon for an another exciting episode. Bye.